Thank you, Troy. Troy said he woke up every hour last night thanking God for me. I wake up every night thanking God for you every hour, Troy. If you believe that, I got some swampland in Florida, I'll tell you. But anyway, I am grateful for Troy. What a dear brother, dear friend. God doing good things here. Such a blessing to be a part of it. And I hope you'll pray for us. We uh, Tuesday, we'll be in a meeting. First time yet ever that the national leaders of this 6-4 fellowship, we have about 60 regional leaders, but the national leaders, one of which is Troy, uh, will be hosted by Jim Cimbala, who's one of those leaders in Brooklyn Tabernacle, Al Toledo, uh, a guy named Kevin Myers, who pastors uh, 12 Stone Church, about 15,000, 20,000 people in Atlanta, H.B. Uh, Charles, who just this year was the president of Southern Baptist Pastors Conference, uh, will be meeting for several hours just to talk about how can we better model prayer in our own lives, our own churches, but how can we make, we like to say it this way, how can we make the next new thing the first old thing? In other words, how can the new normal be praying pastors and praying churches? Because today pastors take pride in a lot of different things. We have more strategies than Carter has pills, as we used to say. Uh, but we need praying pastors and praying churches. So this is really a team of influencers who are getting together to prayerfully see what the Lord would have us to do better, uh, more intentionally, uh, in a more united fashion. So if you'll pray for us, that'll be Tuesday. We're going to wrap it up Tuesday night with this little prayer meeting they have in Brooklyn. Only a couple, no, two, three thousand people. We'll get a quiver in our liver and the Holy Ghost, and that'll be an awesome time. And then we'll head out and be on mission again. So, uh, so very, very grateful. Take your Bibles, if you will, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Troy, of all the people who could preach today, Troy's dad... Troy's brother, Troy's brother-in-laws, his cousins. He probably used to have dog boy preachers in his family, I guess, you know. But here I am, uh, I don't know why, in the mystery of God, but I'm glad it gave a little relief to Troy, and it is a privilege. Today our message is titled, The Ultimate Father. And as much as most of you men would think this is about you, we have a different idea in mind, although you're great fathers, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you in Jesus' name for the privilege of life in you. For the joy of knowing that we belong to your family, for the privilege of serving in all of our roles, and particularly this day, those of us who are dads. And uh, Lord, we ask now that you would point our eyes toward you in a fresh and new way from your word. I pray that you would give me understanding, unction, and utterance, Lord, clear understanding of what you want to say, unction to say it in the power of your Holy Spirit, and utterance to make it clear to your people. Lord, as I often pray, I pray again, while the horse is prepared for the day of battle, victory comes from you. So, Lord, now in the moment, do what only you can do, I pray. And give me grace to look now out, not on a crowd to be feared, but a family to be loved. That you may be honored in our lives and may leave here encouraged and equipped to uh, truly fulfill the mission for which you've left us on this earth. And we pray this for Christ's glory. Amen. Amen. If you're even uh, remotely tuned into television in the late 90s, you would be familiar with America's love affair with Gidget the dog. She became so popular that she flew first class, opened up the New York Stock Exchange. She made an appearance at Madison Square Garden. Now, you would not think of Gidget as a female because the voiceover was a male. And for those of you who can remember these commercials, famous lines like Yo Quiero Taco Bell, Viva Gorditas, Drop the Chalupa, all those commercials. My favorite appeared in late 1998. It was a scene of a downtown street of a large city late at night. Homemade signs were in various places uh, pointing the way to a plate of tacos on the sidewalk. Gidget stood expectedly near her bait, 
The tacos were under a cardboard box. A stick was holding it up. The rope was in her mouth. And she was simply uttering over and over again, Here, lizard, lizard. Here, lizard, lizard. Unexpectedly, a loud, threatening growl and imposing shadow stole the moment. A hungry and aggressive Godzilla appears, and at the sight of the oversized monster, the little dog promptly dropped the rope and in apparent shock uttered, "Uh Uh-oh, I think I need a bigger box. (laughs) When it comes to Father's Day, I think we need a bigger box. We cherish the box of superheroes, don't we? And all of our dads. But perhaps the best thing for us today is that we have a bigger box. We're all affected by our fathers. Maybe your dad was a superhero. My dad came to Christ when I was one. He had been an alcoholic. He had been an Air Force pilot, a bomber pilot in World War II. My mom had been married five times, twice to my dad. Uh, Their life was a mess. And when he came to Christ, his life was transformed. And he was a flawed man, but uh, 13 years ago on Father's Day weekend, when he passed away, I was trying to get them as quickly as I could on an airplane. By the time I arrived, he had passed, uh, but uh, I may maybe sound kind of gross to some of you, but I was able to stand there over his body and stroke his head and say goodbye to his tent, even though his spirit was with God, with deep, deep gratitude for his impact on my life. Many of you feel that way, but even then, I need a bigger box. And some of you today, as counselors would describe it, have father wounds. You were raised by dads who were distant, in some case abusive. In some case, they made horrific mistakes and said horrible things that even today, sometimes you feel like something picks the scab. Whether your dad was a hero or a zero, we still need a bigger box. And so today, we are going to look at the ultimate box when it comes to fatherhood, and that is God himself. Now, Jesus made an interesting statement in Matthew 23, 9. He said, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Now, clearly the Bible says we're to honor our fathers. But Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees who loved to be honored and loved the accolades and the titles, one of which they appreciated was being called father, dignified, beloved. And Jesus was saying, look beyond these guys. Don't, don't call these guys father. You have one father. And the bottom line is we do need a bigger box. We need to fix our eyes and hearts on the Father, the Heavenly Father. And if we do that, let me tell you this, every day can be Father's Day. Because we have a Heavenly Father who is ever-present, whose role in our lives is far beyond one Sunday a year, and is dynamic, life-changing, and truly transformational for all of us. So Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, our very simple verse today. We're going to unpack it word for word and hopefully applicationally in a way that will help us. Jesus said this, pray then this way. Would you say it with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now that's meant to be more than the opening line of some ceremonial prayer at a special event. Jesus literally is saying, when you pray this way, it's the present imperative in the Greek we call it. In other words, he's saying, you must always pray like this. You must always make this the focus and the heart of your praying. But let me just say that before we get into that, in that text, Jesus told us two ways not to pray. Or we might describe it this way, two ways not to experience the Father. All right? One of them was uh, the Jewish leaders, whom we've already referenced. 
these uh, religious, in many ways, hypocrites. And he says, and when you pray, do not be like these hypocrites, these Jewish leaders. And you may know, he goes on to say, they love to be, pray to be seen by men, uh, to be approved as religious people. And many of us relate to the Father in that way. I call it performance to gain acceptance. Now, I grew up uh, in a home of three boys. I was 11 years behind my next sibling. They were 11 to 15 years older than me. And uh, my mom was a very type A. She was very competitive. So were we. So we were always competing. And it wasn't intentional on her part. But, you know, well, your brother did this or you didn't do this or whatever. Now, I know none of you ever suffered from that. You're totally secure in your personhood. You've never been compared to anybody. But there are a lot of people who relate to God in this way, performance-based acceptance. If I can just go to church enough, be good enough, be moral enough. And this is what my parents believed for years. Maybe the, the balance of my goodness will outweigh the balance of my badness and God will let me in. That's not how it works. You cannot perform your way into heaven. And many people relate to God that way. It's a performance-based sense of religiosity. On the other hand, Jesus said, don't pray like the Gentiles, the pagans. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as they do. In other words, they thought that all of their words would get the attention of their gods, and I'd call that persuasion to get attention. Many people relate to God basically like this. Pick me, pick me, pick me, right? Just anything they can do to get God to pay attention to them, make them feel significant about their life. Jesus said, don't relate to the Father that way. But when you pray, pray this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I would describe this as reverence and the renewal of a relationship. If I were to ask you today why Jesus came, many of you say, well, he came to die and, and to give his life to forgive us of our sins, and he did. Some would say he came to provide a, an example of how to live, and he did. I would say that Jesus would say, I came in order to give you a relationship with the Father. Christianity is ultimately relational. It is that relationship that required the blood of God's Son in order to reconcile us back to a holy God. And it's that relationship that enables us to truly understand, know, and live by the power of Jesus. The Bible says pray without ceasing. So how often are we supposed to, to think this way, live this way? You see, this isn't just a daily devotional moment. This is how we live. This is the air that we breathe. This is the environment by which we exist. That is in connection with the Father who is in heaven, whose name is holy. We have a problem. A.W. Tozer says it this way. That the most important thing about a person is what comes to mind when they think about God. And again, the question is, what do you think about? Again, I suggest we all need a bigger box. And the other issue is that, as one man said it this way, in the beginning, God created man in his image. And ever since then, we've been returning the favor. <laughs> We've been creating God in, in various images, the image of our, our childhood or, or some strange teaching or even our own subjective experience, and we just need a clear, bigger box on this Father's Day. So the obvious question then is, who is our Father? Who is He? I remember years ago uh, when we first got cable television hooked up to our house, uh, I was a little frustrated. Some of the channels were coming in somewhere. Now we got Dish and Roku and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but it, it didn't bother me too much. I kept fiddling with it until Monday night football came on, and then I was in the flesh. I was not like my father when I called the cable company. I did not have nice things to say. Uh, they came out shortly thereafter and basically told me that the problem was I had not hooked one of the cables incorrectly. 
Not only did I feel like an idiot, but I realized it wasn't their problem, it was mine, right? And when it comes to God, He's sending the signals. The signals are clear. The messages are obvious. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He's done everything possible to bring you to Himself. And if that is not the case, the problem is in your reception, right? And so today we want to make sure our reception is clear and our thoughts are truly biblical. So He is our Father. Let's unpack that. First of all, He's our Father. You are not an only child. Isn't that something? Now, I grew up, again, 11 years after my near sibling, so I was kind of like an only child. Uh, I'm fiercely independent by nature. It's the way I was raised. I'm an extrovert to do my job, like right now. You know, I just, I'm having fun. But when it's time to recharge, I need to be alone. All right, I love y'all, but just get out of my grill and give me some space, right? That's, that's part of this function of how I was raised. But you know what? Troy was obviously not an only child, and he was Janelle. I saw that wedding yesterday. The whole family filled the building. The rest of us sat outside, I think. But, uh, you know, big families. They are productive in that stream. But nonetheless, here's the good news. You are not an only child. You belong to a family. Isn't that great? Turn to someone next to you. This will be a little intimate for some. You say, hey, we're family. I belong to you. You belong to me. We're in this together, right? Isn't that awesome? You're part of a family. So he is our father. Now, let me clarify something, though, because there are many people who say, well, Everyone is God's children. You know, we're all God's children, and we are. From the standpoint of being created by God, created in His image, we are part of the human family. But spiritually, did you know there are two families? In fact, Jesus said in John 8 to the religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil. I don't think anybody would like to say, you know, I'm part of the devil's family. No one one likes that, and I'm just the messenger. But I'm telling you, if you have not come to God through Christ and part of God's family, you're in the other family. In John chapter 3, John made it very clear throughout that entire chapter, there are children of God and there are children of the devil. The Apostle Paul teaches in numerous places there are children of light and children of darkness. So we are all image bearers as part of the human family, but spiritually there are two choices. You are either in God's family or you are in the devil's family. If you are in God's family, though, you can say our Father. Our Father. The Greek word pater, in Arabic it's Abba, and that's what Jesus spoke. Some of you, of course, know this. It was the most intimate first word that a child would speak. It would be the English equivalent of dada, uh, father, abba. This was a this was a revolutionary thing for Jesus to say because while the Jews understood God as father, it was a more distant collective sense. He's the father of our nation. He's the protector of our people. But for Jesus to use this term was revolutionary and it spoke of the intimacy that would be available to men and women through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is our daddy. Now, As intimate as that sounds, let me say something else. Not only is He our Father, He is in heaven. He is in heaven. Uh, Perhaps uh, you've ever engaged in this, kind of the kids did on the video. My dad's bigger than your dad. You ever do that? I remember when I went down to Alvarado Park, down the street from where I lived, some kid gave me a hassle. I said, hey, my dad can beat your dad up, right? I had no idea if he really could or not. I just knew he was the most strong, awesome guy I ever knew, right? So my dad's bigger than your dad. Well, let me tell you what. If you're in the devil's family, your dad looks like that stick guy, right? But if you're in God's family, uh, he's far beyond that. He's awesome. He's great. He is our Father who is in where? In heaven. 
You say, now what does that mean? Is he up there and the angels are fanning him with palm leaves and, uh, you know, feeding him marshmallows and giving him news reports on what's going on in North Korea? No, no, it's far more than that. Uh, You say, what does it mean? Glad you asked. Let me tell you what the Bible says, all right? Here's just a few of the verses. Talk about his sovereignty, his majesty. 1 Chronicles 16, 24. For all of the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Wow. But our dad, he made the heavens. He's the only father in heaven. He made the heavens. Psalm 115, 3. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Wow. My dad's big. So is yours if you're part of the kingdom of God. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And look at Psalm 11, 4, as awesome and great as he is, notice this. The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven, but his eyes see and his eyelids test the children of man. So he didn't just create the universe, wind it up, and leave it on its own. He is intimately involved in our lives. His eyes see us. He knows what we're going through, what we're feeling, what we're doing. And Jesus reiterated this, and I want you to see it just because it's so important to us. So Jesus, in this same sermon where he says, pray this way, goes on to talk a little bit more about the Father. And he makes it very real to our lives. He says this, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Why? Well, here's why. Because you're worrying about what you eat, what you're going to drink. Uh, don't worry about your body, what you're going to put on. That verse more for ladies than men, I think. But, but is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Some of you guys obviously didn't worry about the day. Anyway, uh, look at the birds of the air. And they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, say it with me, these three words, your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? So we have an awesome Father in heaven, but he's intimately involved in caring for us. And he goes on, Jesus goes on in Matthew 7 to say something else about our Father. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You say, that's my proof text. I'm praying for the winning, winning ticket on the lottery, right? No. God defines what's good, right? God defines what's good. And it's kind of like when you're a kid. You know, when I was a kid, I hated Brussels sprouts. They tasted bad. They made the house stink. And yet my mom said, these are good for you. I'm thinking, my mom's brick short of a load. These aren't good for me. I like them now, and I find out they have high nutritional value. Some of you don't like Brussels sprouts and, and you know, whatever. I, I, like, I like them now. You know, broccoli, you pick the vegetable. This is good for you. Now, why would your mom say that? Because she knows more than you do about what's good, right? And I want to tell you, our Father knows better than we do about what's really good. But it's not always easy. My brother, keep mentioning him, 11 years my senior. He's a pastor in Oklahoma. I think it's three Sundays ago now. He woke up early one morning preparing to preach, sitting in his house. Suddenly he felt an excruciating pain go down his right hip into his leg. 
And within minutes, his whole leg was numb. He tried to walk. He couldn't walk. They took him to the emergency room. Within 24 hours, the numbness had moved across his waist and down his left leg. He is completely paralyzed from the waist down. At first, they thought it was a thing called Guillain-Barre, and now they find out it is a spinal stroke, which is extraordinarily rare. He does not know if he'll ever walk again. He does not know if he'll get full recovery. And he is right now in a rehab center, and I visited with him last week, preached for him last week. And he said something. He said, you know, I'm reading Job with new eyes now. He said, in fact, I read Job the other day and just realized that God threw Job under the bus. <laughs> he didn't say it that way, but God said, have you considered my servant Job? Satan go around looking for somebody to go after? God suggested Job. It's like, well, hey, thanks, Lord. But, you know, he said God knew what was ultimately good for Job, and he knew that he had put in Job everything Job needed to come through this with a deeper relationship with God. And so I've got to let God define what's good. Even though he just said, have you considered my servant Dennis? (laughs) And we were reflecting on something Oswald Chambers said. Chambers said this, the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. He's a good, good father. And he is in heaven. And he's aware of your needs. And he's doing all things for your good to conform you to the image of Christ. And even though it may taste like broccoli at the moment, he is a good, good God. So our Father, our Father, we're part of a family. He is our Abba. We are intimate with him. He is in heaven. He rules the heavens. He made the heavens. He's dialed into our lives. But now it tells us that his name is holy. His name is holy. Now, the word holy has to do, or hallowed, as it says in some of the translations, same word, has to do with something or someone that is completely set apart. God's holiness is everything that sets Him apart from us and all the rest of His creation. He is other. He is beyond in purity and glory and beauty and power. It speaks of His perfection in contrast to our imperfection, His wisdom compared to our foolishness, His power in contrast to our impotence, His love in comparison to our selfishness. And what's holy? His name is holy. Boy, names are important, aren't they? Keaton, that's a good name, right? Keep is a good name around here. Henderson, that's not bad. In fact, when I was a kid, my parents gave me a little plaque. It said Henderson at the top. Here's what it said. You got it from your father. It was all he had to give, so it's yours to use and cherish as long as you may live. If you lost the watch he gave you, it can always be replaced, but a black mark on your name can never be erased. It was clean the day you took it, and a worthy name to bear. When he got it from his father, there was no dishonor there, so make sure you guard it wisely. After all is said and done, you'll be glad the name is spotless when you give it to your son. So your dad say, give me a copy of that, right? Yeah, that's a good one. So if someone were to walk in here today, and uh, maybe they flew in from Singapore, they wanted to buy something at Miss Smith Mountain Lake, you know, and had no background of Christianity, knew nothing about our faith, and they just happened to wander into East Lake, and you meet them in the lobby on the way out, and they're just so curious about this thing called church. They say, uh, what do you call yourselves, you, you people? What do you call yourselves? What would you say? Christian, yeah, 90%. And it says in Acts, they were first called Christians, right, in Antioch? But... That's not what the Bible calls you. Do you know that? No, Christian means a Christ one. But the predominant name dozens of times for us is saints. How about that, huh? 
Saints, turn to your neighbor, call him Saint Charlie, Saint Sue. Go ahead, just build him up a little bit. Build. Yeah, you're a saint, baby. You're a saint. She say, ah, I always wanted a statue to me in the lobby. No, that's not what I mean, all right? Has nothing to do with working miracles. Everyone's a saint. It literally means a holy one. Because we have been called by His name. We are holy ones. So I want to back up show you a couple verses. Because name, sorry, I got you out of order there, guy. Uh, name literally means character. It's the idea of reputation or authority. And here's what Isaiah says. Thus says the Lord who created you. Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by my name. You are mine. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made, your name is saint. You are a saint called by his name. Saint means holy one. That's who you are. That's who God says you are. Acts 15, the Gentiles would be called by his name. In Revelation, those who come out of the, the, uh, the tribulation will have his name written on their foreheads. The bottom line, friends, is you are saints. Now, I may mention this before. As a young pastor, I didn't know any better, and I kept calling the people in my church laymen. And they took that as a command. And I'd say, laymen, they just lay there. So I decided to change that name to Saint, a holy one. And that kind of elevated the sense of expectation. But the reality is when we pray, when we live and commune with the Father, He is our Father, our Abba, who is in heaven. And His name is holy. And He, by the work of Christ on the cross, has saved us, made us His own. Paul said to the Philippians, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And here's the deal. Not only did he save you, but he made your heart so pure by his blood that even the spirit that at one time uh, was, was only really resident in the temple and the tabernacle now lives in your heart and makes you holy by his presence. That's why he is called the what spirit? The Holy Spirit. We are saints. So how do we experience this? How do we make this real in our lives? Let me give you a story. On a recent Sunday morning outside an adult daycare center in metropolitan Detroit, a worker was drawn outside by what she thought was a crying cat, and instead she found on the lawn a newborn baby wrapped in a blue blanket. The placenta umbilical cord was still attached. Days later, as they were caring for the baby, they still were unable to identify the mother. And as you know, tragic scenes like this are repeated, certainly in our country and all throughout the world on a regular basis. They call it the phenomenon of discarded infants. It's become so widespread that now many states have created safe haven laws where a lady who has a baby can deliver it to certain places without recourse just so the baby can be taken care of. There's an estimated up to 210 million children around the world who have lost one or both parents. Millions have been abandoned, displaced. Over 5,700 children are orphaned each day around the world, and over 8 million children live in institutional care. And I say that only to tell you that we are not discarded infants. We are not discarded infants. God has adopted us into His family. He has chosen us. He has made you His own. The Father wants you. He desires you. He longs for you. He draws you. He makes you part of His family by His grace. And here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16 so beautifully. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And so the Holy Spirit in you who makes you 
holy, has a voice, and there's something he's constantly saying in your heart to God's heart, and that is, uh, say it with me, Abba, Father. Say it again, Abba, Father. I belong. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Galatians goes on to say, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here's the deal. The same way in which Jesus prayed, Abba, to the Father, is the same way now that He lives in you to experience that same intimacy and to have that same cry of belonging to knowing that you have been chosen. About three weeks ago, I did a wedding in California for a wonderful young man named Hans. He is a police officer there, married a beautiful lady. Hans was adopted by Harold and Janice, some dear friends of ours, when he was a little boy. At Hans' wedding, his birth mother was there, as were, of course, the parents who raised him. And while his birth mother's genes were in him, their heart, their character, their life was in Hans. Harold and Janice chose Hans. They gave him everything a young man could ever need. They loved him through the tough times. They cared for him. They supported him. They believed in him. They did everything to make him the fine young man that he is today. They chose him. And I want you to know our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, chose you through the power of Christ. He has drawn you to the cross. He has made you his child. He has put his spirit in you. And his spirit is regularly saying within you to the Father, Abba, 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 my Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. John Piper says it this way, and I love this quote. He says, God does not leave us in the condition of aliens when he adopts us. He does not leave us with no feelings of acceptance and love. Again, we are not discarded infants. But he says, rather, he pours his spirit into our hearts, gives us the experience of being embraced in the family. Therefore, in adopting us, God gives us the very spirit of his son and grants us to feel the affections of belonging to the family of God. And I hope you feel those affections today. So what difference does it make? Well, dads, for us, I'd say it basically comes to, down to this thought, emulation and empowerment. In other words, the Lord now allows us to emulate the Heavenly Father. You say, now how can that be? Well, in John 14, you don't have to write this down, but just listen. In John 14, um, Peter said to Jesus, show us the Father. And in paraphrase of the lesson, I mean, Jesus said, Peter, I've been this long, you still don't know? You still don't know me? And he said, when Peter said, show us the Father, it's a word that means give us a vision. We want something spectacular. And Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. There's two words in the Greek for seen. One of them is what you do with your retina. The other one is what you say when you might say, oh, I see. In other words, I what? I understand. Peter, Jesus said to Peter, you understand the Father. If you have seen me. And so fathers. This makes it pretty real. Jesus is God with flesh on isn't he? I would say dads. Start rereading the gospels again. And ask yourself. Give yourself the best father's day present you ever could. Ask yourself. How did Jesus live? What did he think? How did he speak? How did he respond to people? What was his life all about? And now his spirit is in me. Crying out Abba Father. To make me like Jesus. To help me live out a secure. And a strong. And a godly perspective as a dad. And he will allow you to do that. 
Some of you know Jeremiah 9, 23, and 24. This is just a little add-on. No extra charge for this one, all right? This is what I call the Father's Day version. Listen to this one. Let not the wise father boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty father boast in his might. Let not the rich father boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Isn't that a great calling, Dad? That I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. That's the kind of dad God delights in, and that's the kind of dad he will make you because of what he's done for you. Finally, for those of us who are children, how many of your children here today? By the way, that's all of you. This is not a trick question. You wouldn't be here if you weren't a child, right? You're all children. I don't care if you're 89 or, or 9. You're children, right? But what about for those of us who are children? Well, the bottom line, I think, is acceptance and significance. Knowing, as we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Knowing whose we are and who we are. Because our real identity is rooted in the one to whom we belong. I remember a little movie when my kids were young called Short Circuit about these little government robots. And one of them got loose. Not a real movie, but it's fun. He got loose, and, and he needed input. And this input kind of shaped him into a pretty rogue dude, you know. And, and I never forget the line, input, input, unified need input. From the day you were born, you were like unified, weren't you? Input, input. Joe need input. Susie need input. And I tell you, this toxic world has given you all kinds of input. Some of you walked here today thinking uh, your life doesn't matter. Feeling like you've been rejected. A failure. Just don't compare. This goes on and on and on. It's all input. See, now we are defined by who loves us. We are defined by who has adopted us. We are defined by who now has made us new and who has put His very life in us. Pray this way. Pray without ceasing. Abba, Abba Father, You're in heaven. Your name is holy. I'm called by Your name. And that's who I am. This is one of the great challenges of every day. I always say the hardest thing about the Christian life is it's so daily, right? Every day. So what do we do with this as we close? Well, Colossians 3.10 says this, So, as God's children, keep putting on this new self who is being renewed. You've got to keep renewing this according to a true knowledge in connection to what? What mom and dad told me? connection with my father wounds, in connection with my own failures? No, in connection with the one who created me. Ephesians says again, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. So Jesus said, pray this way, live this way, think this way. Let this be your reality. Say it with me one more time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Every day can be Father's Day. Would you stand with me as we pray together? So some of you are here today as dads as we pray. Um, It's not your normal deal. You were drugged here by a wife, kids, mom, somebody. But God has you here. And He has you here because He loves you. 
He wants you to maybe change the family you're in today. I want to remind you today that uh, Jesus wants you to be able to pray this prayer. And the Father loved you so much He sent His Son to give His life for you so that a wicked, rebellious, confused, drifting, broken life can become the very possession of God. Cleansed, forgiven, new, indwelt by His very presence to make you like God, to make you like Jesus and to to make the new reality of your very inner thoughts. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You see, He loves you. Not based on anything you've ever done. You'll never make Him love you any less or cause Him to love you anymore. He loves you today, yes, because of who you are, but more importantly, because of who He is. He just can't help Himself. He loves you. Right now, I believe there's perhaps some dads in this room, maybe some moms, maybe young people, saying, I I need a heavenly Father. I need a relationship. So Jesus, I believe what you did on the cross, you did for me, and now I put my trust in it. I believe you love me, you died for me. I turn from my sin. I give my life to you. I ask you to now indwell my heart, make me a new person, give me power to live. And from this moment on, may the cry of my heart always be, Abba, Father. If you're here today and you already know Christ, would you simply say, Lord, would you help me remember who I am because of whose I am? Help me live in that security and significance day after day for the glory of Christ, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So, Lord, we worship you. We thank you that you are a Father, a loving Father, a gracious Father, a great Father, an awesome Father, and a good Father in all of your ways. We pray this because of Jesus and for his glory. And everyone said, Amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.